No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. BOA Audio's back live on the air. It's been too long. It's been like six weeks since we did a live show. It's been uh, an unbelievable gap. So it's pretty cool to be back on the air live, and I'm excited about tonight's guest. I wanted to talk to him for a while. I actually teased it uh, at the beginning of the year when I had Eric Altman on the show that I wanted to get Lon Strickler on BOA Audio ASAP, and we ended up doing it here tonight live and I'm very excited about it because he's the man behind Phantoms and Monsters, the website phantomsandmonsters.com and it is outstanding. I was telling him this before we started the show. I I, I just am really blown away by the tenacity he has. He's been doing this since 2005. I mean I've been doing this whole spiel here since 2005 and many times I feel like I've run out of steam and he puts up amazing stuff constantly and he's been doing it for so so long. And he's really got a remarkable uh, history in this field. It's just tremendous stuff uh, we're going to get into tonight. And he's also, I should mention, as I said, uh, we had Eric Altman on the show. He's the co-host with Eric Altman and Sean Forker of Beyond the Edge Radio. So check that out as well. Lon Strickler, welcome to BOA Audio. Really looking forward to it, my friend. Well, thanks for having me on, Tim. Uh, since this is the first time we've talked, this is kind of like the standard bio background question. I was thinking about this today. It's like I could put a book together of just the bio backgrounds of all the people that I've had on the show at this point. So let's put you into the uh, <laughs> the Akashic record of uh, of BOA Audio here. Tell me about the bio, the background. You know, who is Lon Strickler? How did you get involved in all this? As I said when I introduced you, I mean, and, and you kind of enlightened me before we started. You. You've been in this for a very, very long time, and uh, it's been really quite a remarkable twisting and turning uh, evolution looking at all this. So tell people about Lon Strickler, the bio, the background. Well, the thumbnail description, I would say, is I've, you know, I've been interested in strange and unusual actually as long as I can remember. Um, I am, I've always been somewhat clairvoyant, and I've been able to see this and that things that people couldn't other people couldn't see. 
my childhood included a many giant plastic chunks to the Gettysburg battlefield. I only lived about 12 miles away from Gettysburg. And, uh, any other odd locations that would draw my attention. Uh, places that normally that had had, um, uh, horrific battles or someplace where something had happened. Yeah. Uh, I was drawn to this type of location. So after a while, I started to realize that, you know, I was sensitive to the spiritual energies and, uh, that would, you know, would occasionally surface. And sometimes manifesting into apparitions that, you know, especially at Gettysburg where, you know, it would be soldiers performing their duties. Uh, the muffled sounds of drums, gunfire, cannons. Jesus. And the mortal suffering that happened there. And, uh, you know, and other people have described this as well. You know, as well as, you know, the smell of gunpowder, blood, and death hanging in the air, just like the morning fog. How old were uh, you when all this was going on? Were you like a like a teenager? I was, I think my, I think the first time I took my bike up to Gettysburg, you know, I had been up there with my folks, and I had been up there at school trips, but um, the first time I really got up on my own, I guess I was like 12 or 13. Jeez. Yeah. And, you know... I used to sneak on the battlefield. You'd never be able to get away with it now. But I used to sneak on the battlefield and spend nights on it. Wow! And I used to yeah, I used to camp up there, especially up near the. Uh, I was I was always drawn to the 20th Main, the area around the 20th Main Monument on the backside of Little Round Top, and uh, I used to sneak on there and stay the night. My goodness. All right. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to like uh, like implicate your age here. But when was this? Because like you said, you couldn't get away with this. Uh... Yes, this was the <laughs> early seventies. Early seventies. Oh man, what a great time! Yeah. Gee. Yeah. Probably could have like camped out in the middle of Stonehenge, and no one would have bugged you about it. Nowadays, you'd get thrown in jail. Oh yeah, they, you'd never be able. To, they would never be able to do it now. I used to. Well, even when I got a little bit older and was driving, I used to drive over all the time. Uh, I used to spend nights up at Spanger Spring and see the white lady. I I have seen her three times. Uh, it's an apparition that kind of develops behind the spring and walks across the road. And uh, three times. Yeah, I've seen it three times. I in fact I had some of my buddies with me one time and uh, them out. So we were heading back to my hometown of Hanover real quick that evening. So. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know, during this period, you know, I was aware of cryptozoology, and, uh, but, I, you know, I really didn't get into that. Yeah, it sounds uh, like you I, were I, more into the spiritual yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was going on, uh, actually, I was starting doing investigations back in 77, right after I got out of high school, and, uh, you know, I... I had done several investigations up in Pennsylvania at that time, though I was living in Maryland, too. I was driving back up there. and um, But, you know, that all changed back in uh, May of 1981 when I had my uh, my big encounter, and I went from there. Yeah, you set me up perfectly there because that's exactly what uh, I wanted to hone in on. I heard you on Coast to Coast talking about this a long time ago. Well, not really a long time ago, a couple of years ago, but... Uh, and I was captivated when I heard the story originally, but uh, the fr- 
I do have to ask you, before we even get into this, do you ever get tired of talking about it? Because part of me was like, i got to ask him about this Bigfoot story. But then, the, 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 you know, the I don't know if it was the angel or the devil, but one of them on my shoulder was like, why are you asking him that? Everybody asks him about that. But 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 I'm fascinated Well, you know, I, I really did start coming out about, you know, it, it's been on part of record. It's been part of the record since maybe the 90s. I didn't, I really kept quiet about it for a long time. Hmm. And, uh, you know, not until I started doing the blog did people start to ask me about it that much. Then, of course, when I um, I wrote the book, I put it in my book, and then I got George Knapp had me on Coast to Coast back in like, last February of 2013. Okay, so it was a year And uh, the, it's been going from there, you know. Well, tell me the story. Let's let's dive in. Cause I, I want I want to hear this the story again because I love it. And I want my my listeners to hear it. And I have a million. Well, you, well, you well I don't know, know if I have a million questions, but I have uh, <laughs> questions about this. Well, was, you know, profile. First of all, the the encounter was profiled on Monsters and Mysteries of America back in February this year. Oh, nice. So a lot of people got to see it and had a pretty had a pretty good idea of what happened. Yeah, I'm but fairly familiar. With all, it. Let's, let's have the thumbnail on it. Uh, this was um, May ninth, nineteen eighty-one. So almost, and we're almost it, on the anniversary of the big event. Yeah, and uh, it was about ten o'clock a.m. And uh, I was fly fishing on the uh, South Branch of Patapsco River, which is approximately a mile downstream from Route thirty-two, Sykesville, Maryland. And it was a nice sunny day, slightly breezy, low sixties. It was uh, a really nice day. Nice morning, and um, it was. Uh, I was in a part of the river where it was fairly shallow, and um, you know, some a part where I had fished a lot previously. But I knew the area. I knew where I was. I knew, you know, I but I had never seen anything here before. Hmm. So I was on the south side, south bank of the um, of the river when I noticed the. Uh, a stray mixed breed dog sniffing around the weeds and the thickets on the north bank. I, I'd say he was about 50 yards from me, so he was a pretty fair distance. Uh, he was weaving in and out of the brush, and I, I wasn't worried about it. So I just kept I kept my mind off him and just went back to fishing. So about a few minutes or so, I heard the dog barking and growling, so I figured he stirred up a deer. But when I looked in that direction... I noticed uh, a dark, hairy creature bobbing up and down in the thicket. I didn't know what it was. So I stopped fishing and moved a little closer. I had my hip waders on, so I walked into the river. I was, uh, I walked in a couple of foot, maybe get a better look, and I noticed the dog stopped barking. Now, is it across and, uh, the river like, from you? Like you're in the water? That? Like I'm trying to get yeah, a message. I'm stand, yeah, I'm standing in the water. I'm, I'm like three foot off the bank. And okay, and, and the dog uh, and, and the dog and the Bigfoot are on the other side of the river. They're on the other side of the okay. river. So you know, I heard the dog put up a large yelp, a loud yelp, and uh, I saw this creature stand up. And the best I could tell was this thing was about seven eight foot tall, and had dark matted hair all over the body. Uh, but the strange thing was he. The face was didn't have much hair at all. Now there was hair on the head, but it had you know it had a face, like a human like face. So, you know, I, I've always said it looked like a Neanderthal. Uh, you know, but, but I could only really see the body from the chest up because of the weeds 
and sick of being so hot. Yeah, yeah. So I stood completely still, and I I heard this thing making ticking sounds, and I I, I, I later figured out it was Kim gnashing his teeth together. Oh, clicking, yeah, click, really, clicking sounds. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was really loud. Weird. And uh, but you know, I've had other people. You know, and I only I only figured this from other people that have had have experienced the same thing. Right, and right. I, I do I do believe that's what it was. That's interesting. I've so, never heard that before. I like that. I, I started walking maybe a couple more feet in the river. It was fairly shallow, so it wasn't. You know, it wasn't hard for me to go through there. And uh, I, I did notice a, a musky scent, but it it wasn't real bad. It was like a fox urine type of smell. And I, you know, I recognize that smell from um, uh, using it for deer hunting. So, you know, it's a mass scent. But that's what it, that's what it smelled like. Hmm. So, you know, I didn't really get that. But some people say they get that real strong. Yeah, you know, like a skunky kind of smell. smell. Yeah. Well, anyway, I had the waders on, and uh, I could only move so fast to get a better look at the creature. So. You know, and it was actually it was really moving too fast for me, so I decided to go get go back to the car. I mean, this thing walked away into the woods behind it, yeah. And it was moving pretty good. It wasn't running, but it was it was booking. I mean, and the one thing I did notice when it walked away were the pads on the feet were light colored. That's yeah, one oh, thing okay. I did notice. And yeah, right. uh, makes sense. Anyway, I um. I decided to go back to the car, and I decided to drive back to Sykesville and make an immediate report to the authorities. No, i got to stop um, you here. This is this the – because mm-hmm. obviously – why would you go to the authorities? I just wonder – I don't know if I would. Well, 1981, you know, it's like 80 I – mean, this isn't like 2014. This is like 1981. I think I think I'd be no, like – I don't want the cops involved now. at all in any of my business with Bigfoot. You know, no, but, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it now. I mean, see, I, back then, I really didn't know what I was saying. Hmm. You know, there there were uh, there was a state hospital nearby, and the first thing I thought was somebody got out. You know, somebody was roaming around, shouldn't been out there. That's true. You're right. That makes sense, actually. And and I didn't really know what it was, so I decided that you know I'd go ahead and report to the authorities on my way back to the vehicle. But I did notice the dog. He had or she had gotten across the river. And it did have a little bit of blood around the neck and on the hind side, but he was walking okay. So, you know, I didn't want to have to fool with him anyway. I didn't know the dog had rabies or what the deal was. So I stayed away from him. <laughs> he looked okay. So this isn't a heartwarming but, tale about how you got your dog, that is what I'm saying. Well, you know, <laughs> it's just the way it went, you know. Okay. So I, right. uh, I drove to the nearest telephone, which was located right at the edge of town. There was a bar there. So I stopped and I called the police. And there was a local police, there was a Sykesville police, and uh, they told me, well, we'll meet you there. I said, okay. Well, so I, I went and got back to the car. Were they cool you know, about I, it, or were they like, what was their reaction? Well, I, could hear them, I could hear them laughing at me yeah. in the background, you know. Uh, you know, this this Bigfoot, this uh, Sykesville monster thing, and the big flap had happened several years before that. Did so, you know about you know, that when were, it happened? Huh? Did you know about it when when your thing happened? I had heard about it, but I didn't really think much about it. Uh, you know, I, hmm. you know, it was it was it was several years after it happened, and uh, you know, it wasn't really a, 
you know, it wasn't really something that came up in conversation. Yeah. I had just heard about it, you know. Yes, yes. I Actually, I, I had worked with somebody who had a family member that had, seen, that had been part of that flap, had this thing break into one of the chicken pens. Yikes. So uh, that's, the only, that's the only reason I heard about it. Um, so, you know, I started to drive back to the river. And, you know, it was no more like a four, three or four-minute drive there. And when I got there, I was amazed that, that a Maryland State police cruiser was already there. And I'm thinking, my first thing I'm thinking myself is, well, you know, maybe Sykesville called the state troopers and, uh, you know, somebody just happened to be there, you know, around the area. Yeah. But, you know, the state, the state police officer told me to get back in my car and you leave immediately because uh, they didn't know how dangerous the situation was. So I explained to the guy, I tried to explain to the guy, well, you know, I'm the guy who reported it. I <laughs> yeah. saw it. And he's, you, know, he, you know, I made the initial report. He refused to talk to me and told me to leave. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I just went ahead and got back in the car. And I didn't live far from there. So I just went ahead and went back home. And um, I waited about an hour or so. And I went back, you know, just changed my regular clothes, and I went back over there. And when I got there, I mean, this place was crawling with people. Gee. There were, there were uh, now this road wasn't real wide. This was an old country road that went along a river, and uh, it, it was cars, you know, cars parked on the side, both sides, maybe, oh, I'd say about a quarter of a mile back from it. So I had to park a good distance away and walk up to it. Did the so, guy see you um, again? I'm, I'm worried for you now. Did, <laughs> did what's the, that? Did the guy, did the cop see you again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sh- oh see, no. This time, this time when they, you know, when I got there, they, you know, they had cordoned off. They had the tape out there. And there were a couple state police standing there. And I asked the one guy, and this guy was, this is somebody different. I asked what's going. So well, somebody said they saw a Bigfoot. I said, oh, really? I said, what do you think? It was a sexual monster. He started laughing. I said, where, where are the county police at? And, and the sexual police, they said, uh, these other guys ran them off. Well, then I knew, you know, I could see there were black cars and people going through the brushes with dogs. And they had a few other things. And I heard helicopters. And I didn't see the helicopters, but I heard them. Yeah. So I figured the feds were involved there. So, Jeez. but this, this was, I mean, this was quick, you know, this was really quick. And, you know, for years I've tried to gather information from the local authorities and, uh, you know, I, tra- I called the, um, and other than I called the, uh, the TV stations in Baltimore, which were, they had three stations at that time. And I called each one Oh, and all three of them were interested in the story. They wanted to know what happened. And uh, so the next day when I called them back, each one of them told me they didn't want to talk to me under no circumstances. Jeez, this is getting weirder. Why do you think they're the, – the, the race is the obvious question of why do you think the feds got involved in this? Why do you think there was a media blackout? What's your, what's your speculation on that? I never did find that out. And believe me, I – you know, I got, I got verification that it did happen because um, – after I had put the report out with BFRO, which was in '95, I got a um, 
I had an e- I had an email sent to me maybe about two years later, in '97 or so, from an ex uh, police officer with, with Sykesville, and he verified everything that happened. So uh, he said they ran them out early. Strange. So you know, I don't know what happened. You know, I don't know if this. You know, I don't know if this thing was maybe part of uh, some type of experimentation thing, or you know, there was some in this area. And I don't live far from there yet. I still live a few miles from there. And uh, this area um, does have a lot of federal facilities that you know people know they're there, but they don't know exactly what they're there for. Yeah. And back then, it was the same thing. So I don't know if this this creature or whatever was got away from one of these facilities and they were looking for it or they were on the track of this thing, but they got there quick and I, I still, I never still have been able to figure it out. Yeah. They might, who knows? The government may think Bigfoot's an alien and they have, you know, they might have sent their alien response well, team to go get him. You well, know. since this thing looks, since this thing looks so human, no, granted, it looked like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the picture. Uh, I, I had a drawing made. Oh yeah, I'm looking and, at it right now. Yeah, I mean, you could. It looks like a Neanderthal. Yeah, I'll throw it in the chat. Uh, people. Yeah, and uh, you know, I that's all I can figure it out. Yeah. Now, at, now after this happened, mm-hmm. I mean, I did become real curious. I, you know, and I did do a lot of footwork on this. I uh, I found out about some of the people who had had been involved in the. Uh, the 73 uh, flap in Sykesville, there were a lot, a lot of people that had um, had sightings and had, inter, you know, and, uh, and encounters with this thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, that area, actually, uh, since my sighting in 81, there have been two more BFRO Class A reports along Tasker River Valley. And four other general reports of the same area from in the 1973 into 79. And during the flap, there were four documented cases. And with, through my interviews with people involved, and uh, not just the Sykesville, but I was in other areas just up and down the river, Woodstock, Daniels, even up into Ellicott City, Gaither, um, I, I took statements from any of those sightings. So I, I know of at least 12 sightings within, I'd say, a 15-mile range that happened in that one year. Wow. Yeah. So this thing, this this thing or things were, they were active. Something and, on the loop. And, uh, you know, so whatever it was, I don't know what it was. And, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not really one to speculate what it was. I still... You know, I still say it was a Bigfoot, but, you know, I, I don't know. You know, all the years I've taken reports, uh, you know, you, the standard Bigfoot are the ones you see out in, you know, out in the Northwest, the Pacific, and Northern California. It's, it seems as further you move east, and especially in this area, I'd say Maryland, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, in Virginia, up into New York, these... Yeah. Um, these creatures have more of a, a human look to them. Interesting. Well, it's uh, 
Yeah, who knows what to make of it. Did you were you overcome with any sort of sense of fear or anything because I've heard that sort of, you know, what was the what was your mental state when all this went down? I, was you more, know? I guess I was more shocked than anything else. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, you know, it was something I didn't expect. Well, of course, you know, anybody encounters these things don't expect it. But, mm. you know, I, I never felt threatened. Um, I think the thing was more worried about the dog than it was me than getting away. Right, right. Now uh, that you're saying that, I'm wondering, did the did the creature even, do you think, see you? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I He didn't stop and look in my direction. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you saw me or not. I mean, I guess I was about, at the closest, maybe 40, maybe 35 to 40 yards away from him, but I was close enough where I got a real good look at him. It was definitely male, because when he moved out of the brush and started heading up to the uh, to the woods, I mean, I could see the genitalia, so it was definitely a male. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I... <laughs> yeah. That makes this next question sound even stranger, but uh, you didn't yell anything to this creature, because I, I think if I saw, in that situation, I, I don't know, I probably would run like a scared child, to be honest with you, but I would like to think that maybe I would think that it was a person or something, and be like, hey, buddy, watch out for that dog, or something. But no, nothing yeah, like that. I, know, I wasn't, right? wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to draw any attention to him. <laughs> or have him draw any attention to me. Right, right. Way. Yeah, you were like, all right, it's best if he maybe doesn't know I'm here. Yeah. Really weird. So how did it change your life? I've heard stories, uh, you know, of people that this really sort of uh, changed their worldview. And I know, obviously, I think it did in a way, because then you kind of branched out into the to the monsters aspect yeah. of the Phantoms and Monsters. Yeah, right? I kept a lot of it on the back burner. I didn't even tell relatives about it. Um, I was, you know, I, had, I was going through a divorce at the time, and my wife, my, my second wife, never knew about it until I finally started working on the blog, and I told her about her adventure. Uh, but, you know, she really didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been people that have known the reports and have talked to me, especially Bigfoot hunters in this area, and a lot of them knew about it. Uh, the guy who did the actual report for BFRL, he knew about it. So, but that was about it. Yeah, you people know, it in the community. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So you didn't tell any of your... It's remarkable that you uh, went to the police, and then afterwards you're like, all right, I'm all set with <laughs> telling people about this Bigfoot thing. Yeah, uh, you know, I never really felt the need to talk to people about it, you know, but that's, you know, but I did get interested in f- trying to find out on my own. You know, the people, the people are even interviewed. I never even told them I had seen it. You know, I, I, I kept that out of the conversation. Yeah, that's probably for the uh, best I, anyway. You don't want to. I told them, look, you know, I, I'm interested in, you know, what had happened. And uh, it was, you know, and, and this, this, the one thing about it, this area, most of the people, that I think all the people who had been part of this, uh, you know, part of that flapper have been witnesses. Of, they were all African-American. That unity on the near the river there was an African-American community part of Sykesville and, uh, you know, but I and I was lucky enough because I knew a lot of the people in the, you know, in in that, you know, there's some of those families, so I was able to get some pretty good interviews. Yeah. And were their encounters pretty much kind of what happened to you? Wasn't it? Did they? Was there any sort of discernible pattern? Facial? Uh, you well, know? did you ever try to show them the not, pictures? Not really. These these a lot of these people kept um, kept lot you know small livestock like chickens and rabbits, and they had you know the hunting dogs. A lot of them went hunting. 
and this thing was breaking into pens and you know, got a few animals. Oh wow! That, yeah, you saw on the um, you saw on the Monsters of Mystery episode. It did get into somebody's uh, house. Yeah, so uh, that was it, it, it. They showed that it got into a garage. And it was a white woman, and they got in a garage. Well, it was actually a an African American family, and the thing had gotten in their kitchen, but they weren't home. And it actually made a pretty good mess. And you know, the cops when the cops got there at that time, they kind of questioned what it was. But I had seen some pictures of it, and this thing ripped the door off the hinges, and uh, it had drug mud, and there were yeah. like, footprints and stuff all over the kitchen. Were they big footprints? So, uh, yeah. Ah, that's cool. Yeah. They sure wish they'd taken more pictures of them. I've never seen those. Well, I wish they would have, too. But, you know, they they just got pictures of the door and uh, yeah. some of the furniture that was mashed, smashed up a bit. But, oh, jeez. Yeah. It's a wonder it didn't get shot, not in the house, really, but if it was stealing food and stuff from uh, these livestock. I don't know. You know, a lot of times I, I think the thing sensed when nobody was home. Yeah, um, yeah. It seems pretty. I know, I know. I know one person who was home that you know heard it outside and got to look at it. Uh, a lot of times, most of the witnesses were actually people, neighbors that heard it making noise out and went out and saw it. For some reason, a lot of the people whose property was vandalized or their you know that their pens were broken in either one home. Or didn't hear anything. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it was just, it, whatever it was. It was very intelligent. You could tell that. I mean, it it kind of it kind of you know, avoided getting itself into trouble. Right, right. And, makes... uh, that's the thing I really noticed when I started talking to people about it. Yeah. Well, so it's I've always been fascinated by the Bigfoot. It's a remarkable creature. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I, I'm always, I've, I'm my like eternal struggle of, uh, is it interdimensional or is it flesh and blood or some kind of, I, I, I pray some kind of combination of the two uh, in some well, way. My, my thoughts on that are, I, I think it very well may be a combination. Uh, I, th- I think there are a flesh and blood terrestrial population of these, these creatures, but I on the other hand, I do think that um, there are some, there is something that kind of resembles these creatures that may be ultra, ultra terrestrial or be uh, part of the UFO phenomena or something. I don't know. But yeah, I, paranormal. I, I, or me bioengineered type creatures or whatever. Um, you know, it's something I've written about for several years now. And there, I haven't really had anything to dissuade me from that theory. Yeah, it holds up in a lot of ways. Uh, it has it, it 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 provides a lot of dangerous fruit for thought uh, for the for the flesh and blood argument. When you think about, uh, I always cite the Nick Redfern stuff about how the, how can they have Bigfoot sightings on on England when in, in England where they don't even have the ecosystem really to support that kind of animal living there. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that's not just in England. It's all kinds of other places, too. So it uh, it's very puzzling. Now, I want to pivot a little bit here to, uh, in your bio I'm looking at, you, you are you a remote viewer? Because I'm a little confused. It says you're a remote viewer and intuitive. So tell me yeah, about that. Well, I don't know. 
I'm, I'm more of a clairvoyant. I Several years ago, I worked with an individual who taught me how to remote view. Now, remote viewing, really, you really don't have to be a clairvoyant or a psychic to do that. Uh, it's, it's, it's mostly learning the routine and being able to uh, subconsciously uh, extend your mind to a location. It's called subspace. Yeah. Uh, directing subspace mind, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I can do that to a degree by myself, but I, it, it's much easier to do when you've got uh, somebody monitoring, monitoring, and uh, when you have other individuals working with you at the time. Yeah, I don't do a whole lot of it now. Uh, most of what I do now is I, I do distance clearing, uh, remote clearing. And uh, some healing, but as far as the remote viewing and, and doing it in the scientific or coordinate remote viewing, I, I really don't do a lot of that now at all. Now, when you did do it, would you would you take your mind to a place like? Because what what I'm wondering is, have you ever tried to use these gifts that you have uh, to look at your Bigfoot encounter? No, and I have tried. I have tried, and I, I've just never ever been able to do it. In fact, I we have talked about getting somebody else to do it, but it, it just never got to that point. Yeah, because the, per, the person I used to, I worked with, I'm not with her anymore. Hmm. Yeah, because that would be cool. Okay, so what do you have, like a mental block on it? Almost, you can't really get back to that. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, I guess my conscious mind is too involved that I can't separate it. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's the only thing I can figure because I I just can't. I really, I really can't get a good focus on it, get a, get a good look at it, good sense of it. It hmm. just, uh, it just doesn't seem to work that well. Yeah, well, it makes sense though, because you probably thought about it a million times. So, oh yeah, your Especially mind. The last couple of years, yeah. Yeah, your mind is probably full of. Uh, do you ever? I was thinking about this earlier today when I was thinking about talking to you about all this. Do you ever remember things? that you didn't recall from the time, like of the Bigfoot encounter, I mean. Does anything new ever sort of pop up one day you're like, oh, that makes, like maybe maybe that you noticed the padded feet or something like that? Uh, I mean like a deja vu type of... Uh, yeah, just maybe yeah, like yeah. a sudden revelation where you suddenly remember something uh, that you hadn't... Not, not that I can recall, no. No. Definitely sounds like you just stumbled into some kind of animal. <laughs> An animal fight. Uh, be, that would be interesting. An animal fight between. I, uh, the I can't and the recall that anything is. You know, I have ever run into something like that. No, no, the animal being Bigfoot. I'm not. I'm not putting you. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Yeah. Yeah. What I'm saying is, it didn't seem like you. You didn't. I don't think you stumbled into uh, an alien Bigfoot that's uh, extracting soil samples or anything like that. It no. Felt like it was just a creature no. uh, hanging around there. Well, okay. Tell me about uh, Phantoms and Monsters. I want to get into this. Because as I said uh, when we started all this, I, I'm just completely blown away by the site. It's one of those sites uh, that I can go to and know that I'm going to get a great story almost every day pretty much you know, from your website. And I cannot put over just how tenacious you are putting this stuff up all the time. It's really remarkable. So talk a little bit about how all this unfolded and uh, you know what goes into it. Well, I th I've, I've been lucky enough to have people trust me put their stories up on the website. <laughs> uh, I think that's the biggest thing. But I uh, know in 2005, I was, uh, I was, 
Well, I've been disabled since 2001, so I haven't been able to work. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I had, well, I had to retire from my job. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing a few other things. I've, I've had this have this other business I do at home. But I was looking for basically something to do, and it, it wasn't really easy for me to get out and do the investigations anymore. So, of course, you know, you have the Internet, so I, you know, I, was, I had looked at other sites and such, and I decided, well, you know, and actually, uh, an investigator here in Maryland taught me into doing it. That's how it happened, actually. Uh, it was uh, a lady who uh, lived here not far from me who, who did, you know, uh, paranormal investigations. And she said, you know, you, you know, you ought to write some of your old cases up on a blog or do it, you know, on a yeah. website. Yeah. And that's how it started. So, uh, you know, I was doing maybe one story every other day or so, and you know, then I started doing a lot of research, and I had a couple of um, couple of readers say, "Hey, you know, well, why don't you put out a newsletter every day?" <laughs> so you know, I got the I got the program to do it. And I said, "Okay, you know, I'll try it out." Don't you so love? Just like don't, one, I just gotta stop you, Long. Don't you love people that appreciate your work and then suggest you do more work? Yeah. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> so, you know, I. Uh, so it, it just it just generated from there. Uh, now at this point, now I guess now since 2006, I put three or four stories up a day. I used to do it every day. I only do it well. I do it Monday through Sunday now. I mean, excuse me, Monday through Saturday now. Sundays I take off. I do take a day off. See, I'm a big football fan, so I had to take my Saturday. I had to eventually take my Sundays off. Oh, you're a big football but, fan. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, so uh, it was get it was you know my time was getting my football time was getting interfered with. So what's your team? Where, had, where what's your what you're in sort of I'm a, a I'm, nebulous region? I'm in Baltimore. I'm in Baltimore. Oh, okay, okay. I'm a I'm a Ravens fan. Anyway, I um so what I started doing, well, you know, and that and that's only been going on for about a year, year and a half where I've stopped Sundays. But no, I've really. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things I've gotten on a routine. Uh, I usually takes me five to six hours a day to research and to put it on the website. Oh wow! Yeah. So I'm right at this point now. I've got uh, with all my subscriptions and all the feed subscribers and people that come to the site and onto Facebook because it automatically goes onto Facebook as well. I've got about 22,000 daily subscribers. Nice, nice. Yes. So, you know, it, 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 it's um, it's a real cross-section of people, too. I mean, worldwide. Yeah, I've and, noticed that with uh, with our audience, too. You get an interesting group of people. Oh, yeah. And it's you know, the stories and the encounters. Now, look, I I don't put everything up there. I, I, do, I, do, I do have to separate the wheat from the chaff sometimes, as I'd say. You know, some of them are just totally unbelievable. But I do like to I do like to follow up with the, the witness and get a little more information before I put it up there, which yeah. is what I normally do. So, but I, I've really gotten some very interesting cases over the years. And in fact, I've uh, I mean stories, but some of them haven't led to cases. And uh, like the uh, David Eckhart case, which was something I started back in. 2008, and his uh, the family's alien abduction 
uh, ordeal they had gone through, which ended up being on TV, actually. Hey, and that, that was a case that MUFON wouldn't touch for years and years and years, and then I decided I'd go ahead and stick my foot into it. And <laughs> nice. Hey. And check it out. But it, it, it was a very interesting case. Uh, a lot of good evidence, a lot of... I learned a lot. I learned a lot with that case. I really did. I, you know, a lot of things that I didn't think were possible, but it seemed that it is, and it's helped me with other cases. Well, now I got to ask you. You got to. You got to back up here. What is? Tell me about this case, then. What did you learn that was well, that didn't seem possible? You've it, blown my mind here. For for about ten years, I don't know exactly when it started. I think it was like 2002 or 2003. And there's this family that lived near Pensacola, Florida. Uh, it was, uh, man, woman, and their two uh, older children, and they they lived in a beautiful home, beautiful home that he, he had built. He was a construction uh, contractor, and uh, they they started noticing these things getting <clears throat> coming into the house, especially into the bedroom at nighttime. And it eventually got to the where what kind of things? He, well. There were several types of aliens. Jesus. Uh, I, I'd say aliens. You know, first of all, I thought this might be a, a regular paranormal or uh, entity, uh, spiritual entity case. Like a demon. But these were these were aliens. These were alien beings. Uh, there were the three types of alien beings people talk about most, though there were some differences. And uh, the small and the, the taller grays, more specifically, uh, a reptilian-type entity that I think was assigned to them because it was the same one every time. And they would literally take them through the walls when they abducted them. And this thing, this was going on a couple times a week for almost 10 years. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, 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 his story, and his story is just fascinating. What's the... Uh, I, I'd say... I, I was just going to say, what's the what should what should because folks are going to be riveted here. What what should they uh, what should what should they Google on that if they want to know more? What they want? What, yeah, go to uh, you either go to my site. I've got a uh, I've got a search tool there. I'll go oh, there to go. Google it and uh, David Eckhart E C K H A R T. All right, because I'm going to want to look more into this later. So okay, so go yeah, on. So I, what, what kind of t- twice a week for for how long did you say? Ten years. Almost ten years, and in fact, they still do get visits. They act. They moved out of that house, and um, David contacts me once in a while. We still keep in touch, and uh, you know, because we're friends and we just talk about a lot of different things. And he told me, you know, I'd asked him, you know, just like the last time I talked to him, which was about maybe a month, month and a half ago. I said, "Have you heard anything lately?" He said, "Yeah, two weeks ago, they were." It, they had just come in and just were like checking around, didn't say anything, just left. He said, which was unusual. Normally, they will leave some type of message with them uh, or tell them when they'll be coming back. And they usually come back in April or November or both times during the year. So, at this point now, it's almost like they check up on them. But he has got, he had images, which I do have on the website of these things, and uh, the reptilian is hard to get a picture of, but I did get some of it photographed. That, you know, he was able to get some of it photographed. Yeah. So, But I've also got the videos also. Uh, some of the videos... 
I was going to say, okay, so what did this guy do to charge? Because the, the the double visits, uh, you know, two visits a week for ten years. That 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 well, you know, that's the kind of thing that's very uh, reliable to continue to, you know, you you could set up some kind of means, hopefully, to prove he something. He set up some. He set up some type of system where the camera, the video camera was focused on, you ever seen those uh, security mirrors in the corners of stores? Mm-hmm. On the ceilings? Yeah. He took this thing and ref- ref- took the picture reflected off of that and used lights around the room. For some reason, when he would use the camera, this is what he told me, the camera, any other way they detect it and they'd, they'd stay away. But he did get he did get some video of these things moving about, and he has also taken uh, screenshots of these videos to where he would use actually using a smoke machine to where these things would come in kind of semi translucent, and this smoke machine would actually the outline of these creatures. Yeah, I'm looking at it here. Yeah, it, it, crazy. It's pretty interesting. So yeah, I mean I. I'd say the best thing to do is, you know, if you're not familiar with the case, to go ahead and Google it or go in and uh, to my website, which is phantomonsters.com, and just go to the uh, uh, go to the search tool and put in David Eckhart. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. This is tremendous stuff. Now, did he? It seems I would like to see more. Uh, this is on him, not you, Lon. I'd like to see more evidence of I feel like with the reliability of the two visits all the time he no uh no like DNA or anything no mistake well, do you think if do you think if uh, these things came twice a week for 10 years they'd mess up at some point yeah uh, I do have other evidence it's just he and I have decided some of the stuff we weren't going to release until later if possible we were talking you know I, I was talking about doing a book and uh, he's given me permission to do a book. Yeah. And uh, if if that's the case, if I can swing it, I'm gonna either I'm either gonna do that and have some the other photos and some of the drawings yet on there and put that in there, or just do it just do it online. You know, I don't know what we're gonna do yet. Okay. Um, All right. I'll give I you. I still a feel that I still feel this is not over yet with him. Well, why uh, didn't from, if 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 I was him and some creatures were breaking into my house twice a week, I think at some point I would get a gun. Did he ever, like, consider... Why didn't he ever try and stop these things from happening? Well, he tried early in the, in the, in the process, but uh, I, I think he learned the lesson. He was kind of incapacitated to the point that he decided he wasn't going to do it again. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know exactly what they did to him, but when they, they come, you know, they come in... A, in through a variety of means, uh, they come through the walls. It, it just seems that they—he was telling me a time they were sitting there eating breakfast one day, and four or five of these smaller graves just walked by them. You know, of course, everybody in the family was used to see them, and just walking by them into the hallway. Weird. It's weird stuff. It really is weird. Yeah. And uh, you know, of course, I haven't—you know—I've been criticized for covering this story for a lot of time, for a long time now. But, uh, you know, I, I like I've told everybody, you know, the, the only thing I could do was uh, present what I was given to present and tell his, and uh, I'm not going to change it just to make the story sound better. Yeah, why would you, yeah, 
that's ridiculous. Why would you change anything? No. You know, your job is to no. sort of get the story out there. And if he if he's not comfortable with putting the stuff out, the pictures yet, then there's nothing else uh, you can really say. Um, well, there, there is one thing that I, I think is important to say. Um, he had debilitating arthritis at one point when this started. I mean, it was to the point where he he was almost unable to move. And um, they did it. He had it documented, and I saw it. And he um, he had a series of procedures that they did on him. And the guy's perfectly fine now. He's been checked up the doctors. It's like he never had anything. Yeah. Interesting. And what? this isn't the first time I've had that happen. I had a lady down in, in Puerto Rico who uh, had a entity come in there and diagnose that she had cancer and she flew to New York and had a actually diagnosed by a physician and when she flew back home these things turned up this thing turned up a couple weeks later and it went away. It just simply vanished. Hmm. The tumor, you know. Now look at this page, the further further evidence, and it has some uh, scribblings. Looks like some notes he wrote down. Looks like some very arcane uh, material. I, I feel bad asking you these questions because I feel like I should just be asking him. But uh, but you're you're my my man on this story. So what, he was uh, what's that all he about? was able that he he wasn't allowed to have. He told me he wasn't allowed to have drawing material, you know, pencils or paper. He snuck it in there. He knew they were coming and kept it on him. And he was able to scribble down a few things as far as uh, some of the, I'd say hieroglyphics or some of the writing that they had around, scattered about. But he did write that one down. And then later when he came home, you know, since he, he is in construction, he he's pretty good at designing things. And uh, that teleport-type machine that looks like the horseshoe, mm-hmm. he, uh, he drew that from memory. And uh, that's what that's that's what that image is. That's strange. Yeah. Where was this on the ship? Uh, on the I don't think it was a ship. I think it was uh, he was taken to base into areas a base on, this, on Earth, Whoa. underground and underwater. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So did he have a lot of like interaction with these creatures then? Because it sounds like if this was going on that much, then they had to have. Like I said, uh. Maybe not messed up, but at some point they might have let their guard down. See, like, that's the one thing. Hey, David, how you doing? Back able, again, you know. Yeah, we, we've never been able to understand that they actually took him into places where they were doing experimentation and procedures, and they were. He was even allowed to see how they disposed the bodies and uh, a few other things, teleportation. Uh, they. For whatever reason, I, they were chosen to be able to look at this stuff. Dispose what bodies? Bodies, human bodies that they were experimenting on that died or oh, had God. no use for. They had like an incinerator type of... Uh, oh, geez. It was like a large... It actually, for what he described, it was like a large... uh looked like a smokestack. And uh, these things would be thrown from the top down in. Oh, God. Yeah. These don't sound like very friendly aliens. Yeah, no, no, they weren't. Uh, tell you, most of these reptilian stories that I do here, uh, you know, they, they put it this way: they put up with us for whatever reason they need to put up with us, either for uh, experimentation or whatever they want to gather from us. 
but they're not friendly. Yeah, I think they look at us as like pes- pesky animals that uh, yeah, that I, occupy. Like pets. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm always said it's almost like pets or something they can control or uh, use for whatever means they need them for. Yeah, we're like an asset to these creatures. Right. Not an ally. That's kind of scary, but I think it's pretty much true. Oh, goodness. Well, I figured you'd scare me at some point, Lon, so you, you managed to do it on this. You know, I really haven't talked, and I, I, you're, you're, you've got some information that I don't, don't normally talk about. But, uh, <laughs> that you know, that's, something, that's something that, uh, you know, I haven't really written a whole lot about. Uh, and, I, you know, Dave and I decided that, you know, we could talk about it, but we weren't going to go into specific, real big specifics on it. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he's described some of the experimentation. The only thing I can say is most of the time, most of the procedures they've done on humans that he's seen were in the back, in the back of a human somehow, uh, where they would open up the back and weird do whatever they do. I feel, you know, but he, you know, Dave is one of these people. He's very believable. You know, it's, it's interesting when he and his wife were on the. Uh, the Factor Fake Show with Ben Hansen. They did the uh, uh, they did the investigation there. Yeah. And they couldn't they couldn't disprove anything that he was saying. And I got a chance to talk to Ben a couple weeks later on the show. Actually, he he called into our radio show. Well, we had him on the radio show, and he uh, and I asked about David and his family and what he thought about it. And he said, you know, it, I just could not disprove what he was telling me. I actually think the guy was telling me the truth. Who's this, the host of the fake and fake and Yeah, Van Hansen. He used to be a former FBI okay. officer. Yeah, that was that uh, Paranormal Files Factor Fate. And um, they went to his old house. They had moved out of there since then. But they went to his old house. And uh, uh, they, they ran into some weird phenomena while they were there as well. So uh, Spooky. Spooky stuff. Yep. Tell me, I want to ask you about this because uh, this is completely off the beaten path, but we're we're closing in on the hour, and our buddy Butch Witkowski is going to be joining us in a little bit. But I was checking out your stuff, and uh, to go, like I said, completely off the beaten path. Tell me about Strickler's celebrity autographs. This sounds interesting because I'm a huge pop culture junkie. So you know, in, in the few minutes we have till Butch joins us, uh, tell me about this. Uh, pro- I don't know what I don't know what you call it, an endeavor. Tell me about uh, tell me about it. I, I've been a uh, I've been an autograph collector for a long time when I was a kid. Mm. And uh, I've actually I've actually been buying and selling autograph material. Oh jeez. And first it started out as sports sports memorabilia. Yeah. And uh it kind of it kind of got it kind of moved and revolved into um uh, into celebrity and entertainment. And I tell you what really changed that was uh 9/11. It was just funny. Yep, I tell you what happened. Interesting. After nine eleven, before let's see, before nine eleven, you could you know you could actually, and I lived in Baltimore, so I could go to the hotels and actually get into the hotels and on the floors where the players were staying at, and they'd come out of their rooms and such, and I could get stuff signed, even in the lobby or just outside. Right. And it was right. very easy to do that. But after 9-11, well, teams would put a crackdown on the security. And um, 
you know, I it, it just really put a cramp, a crimp on my uh, <laughs> on my supply. Mm. So I kind of um, talked to some people and decided, you know, you, you you need to really get into celebrity memorabilia, celebrity autographs, and and because uh, there is a market for that. And at that time, it really wasn't a real big market for it. So that's what I got into. So since that time, I have uh, I have three other people working with me. Uh, one's on the West Coast. One's in uh, England, and I got another guy that lives up near New York City, and uh, uh, they've been working on me for a long time, and they obtain a lot of the things for me, and then I sell them. Interesting. What's like the hottest? What What do people really want? You know, I, I'd say uh, pop music is probably the biggest seller. Um, you know, all in all. But you know, I do I do sell a lot of vintage stuff as well. Also, uh, I guess the vintage stuff mostly goes to the collectors, and the pop stuff mostly goes as gifts. You know, like Selena Gomez or Lady Gaga. Yeah. Or you know that that's mostly those are the kind of that's gift material. The newer celebrities, uh, but you know some of the older stuff uh, that's normally goes to the collectors. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm looking at these on the website now. They must be hard to do in a way because one of them's like Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins. So clearly they weren't hanging out at the same place, I presume. So no. someone had to carry around no. uh, an autographed like Jodie Foster picture until they could get Anthony Hopkins to sign it. So it's like kind of amazing. That's, that's the problem. A lot of times you've got, you know, you'll sometimes you get something signed, and I, I know how it was when I was doing it myself. You'll hold on to something two or three years before you get an opportunity to get it, the other signatures on it. You know, these cast signatures, you, maybe you'll get lucky enough to, you know, that most of them will be in one location. Say they got five people on one photo, maybe you get three or four of them. And, but you just got to be able to, to, you know, to have them do it. I, I've had cast photographs where I have actually taken a chance and sent it off to the celebrity to get that last signature on. I hope to God they sent it back to me. Hmm. Yeah, I'll 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 give a I'll give an investment tip to one of the uh, listeners here. I I because I I want it, but I don't know if I'd spend the money. The Golden Girls authentic cast signed, uh, all four: B. Arthur, Betty White, Rue McClanahan, and Estelle Getty. Two ninety nine. Mm-hmm. That's two two hundred ninety nine dollars. That's almost guaranteed to go up in price once. Uh, this is so morbid. Once Betty White dies, then then all four are gone. So well, Betty White's pretty popular now. Her um. I know, but what I mean is there's yeah, no more, you know, that B. Arthur's not yeah. generating any new autographs, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's probably right. You know, you you, you never really know how uh, collectors and uh, fans will react to these type of things when they pass. Most of the time, the autograph will get a little rush if somebody passes away. But for the most part, if, it, if it's somebody who's been around a while, it doesn't move a lot, hmm, uh, just yeah. like Heath Ledger. Now, you know when Heath Ledger passed away, his signature was selling for like thirty to forty dollars. But you know, it was something sudden, somebody new, somebody popular, and you know, I, I regularly sell his signature when I can get her from a collection for four to five hundred dollars. Wow. So yeah, that, but you know, it's, it's it's you know, and the price reflects on what's available. So. That's true, and yeah, exactly. Like I was saying about uh, B. Arthur, once uh, once these people are gone, it's yeah. uh, 
the uh, the autographs dry up pretty much. Well, we got Butch Witkowski on the line. We're going to bring him on in just a moment, but let's get the plugs in here for your stuff. Of course, phantomsandmonsters.com is the website, and let me scroll down here. Beyond the Edge Radio, right? Is that Did I get it right? Yeah, beyondtheedgeradio.com. Um, we we broadcast on parax.com. So if you want to get the show on Sunday nights at eight ten Eastern time, it's uh, it's on para-x.com. All right, para-x.com, and also uh, where we get that one down here, Strickler Celebs. Go there and check these out, folks. They're actually pretty neat. I, I was uh, I wish I, I wish we had more time. To- <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be back on the show in the future, I'm sure, because uh, I did want to. I'll, I'll float this to you now. I want to spend some time and really dig into Phantoms and Monsters, and then come back at you with like a like a top ten, my top ten list, the ten that freaked me out the most, and just sort of throw them at you <laughs> and dig into those uh, in the future. And I want to find out more about the celebrity autographs. I'm I'm really uh, I'm I really have a lot of questions about that. Whoa! See that black smudge right there on the blade? Yeah. Look at it closely. Pretty recognizable signature. No. Randy Jackson from American Idol. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Why do you have Randy Jackson's autograph on a martial arts weapon? Because I bumped into him and all I had on me was this samurai sword, and you're not going to not get Randy Jackson's autograph, right? I would have done the exact same thing. We have Butch Wikowski here. He's going to join us to talk about the Todd C's case, which these guys both have been doing some tremendous research on. So let's bring him on the show now. Is this my friend Butch Witkowski? It certainly is, Tim. How are you? Doing well, Butch. Doing well. How you doing, my friend? Uh, dazed and confused, pretty much same as always. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds. Uh, we're, we're in the same boat, so it's all good. <laughs> but uh, I've, I've been having a great conversation here with our mutual friend, uh, Lon Strickler. So welcome aboard uh, the ship here, and we're going to be digging into the Todd Seas case. Yes, sir. And I guess uh, we'll, we'll start out sort of, because this is sort of an odd transition. I'm not used to these live uh, bringing people in. It's sort of, uh, we're like at a bus depot or something. But tell us about what's been going on since the last time you were on BOA Audio. Give us a little update. It's been a couple of years. I know, uh, as we said when we had you on originally, just the human mutilation stories, that's what you've been researching. Uh, frightening, frightening stuff, terrifying stuff. And, of course, I think the Todd C's case falls into that whole realm as well. But give us an update on what you've been up to. Well, we've continued, we continue on with the human mutilations. Uh, we now have a group set up over in uh, England, in Wales, and um, they're supplying us with a lot of information and stuff that's been going over there. Unlike here, when, you know, you try to get information, you just get blown off, but you try to get information over there and you get the constable knocking at your door within five minutes. So uh, the, the information is still coming in. It's uh, sparse, but it's steady. And, uh, you know, we're in our fifth year of the investigation of Todd Cease. And um, uh, Lon got involved, uh, I I think accidentally. (laughs) He was at a conference and somebody asked him about the case and then he started looking into it. So uh, for the last uh, seven, eight months, I guess now, uh, we've both been at it. Um, I started a uh, cold case unit, which uh, is only working on this case. So there are actually just five individuals. Um, if nice, nobody's nice. really familiar with the case, which I, I pretty much doubt anymore. Uh, yeah, well, we'll let's let, we'll bring people up to speed on it. Let's give them a thumbnail. I, I've been fascinated by this case for a long time. I was thrilled when I saw you, you guys did a special edition of uh, 
of Lon's show there talking about this, and uh, I actually didn't listen to it because I didn't want no spoilers. You know, I figured I, I wanted <laughs> to hear hear the hottest stuff uh, and so you got some genuine reaction from me so I'm not just like I already heard that earlier so I, I'm looking forward to finding out more about it and I've been fascinated by this case for so long I remember Peter Davenport talking about it on Coast to Coast like only a few maybe a few months after it happened uh, mm-hmm. and that was like 10 years ago at least mm-hmm. and I was riveted at the time and I remember having you on the show and talking about it and I remember having Peter on again uh, and talking about it, and, and, and it seems like it kind of bubbles up every now and again. And I'm really glad you're really taking a hard look at this case because it, it is something else. So tell people about the Todd Seas case. Give them a little thumbnail at least so we can bring them up to speed. Sure. Uh, well, we started out kind of like a two-fold investigation five years ago, and uh, for the first two years we just tried to glean all the information we could from public sources. And Peter Davenport's report, who was the initial reporter, and then uh, we went to a, a second uh, part of the investigation where we checked the accuracy of all this information that we had accumulated in the first two years, and we kept coming up zero, nothing. We couldn't, we couldn't find out anything. It's like this man never existed on the planet Earth. But a narrative of the case basically is uh, Todd Cease was a 39-year-old male from Northumberland, Pennsylvania. He left his home on August 4, uh, 2002 at approximately 5 a.m., to go spot some preseason deer and on, on uh, the Northumberland Ridge, which is right behind his residence. And he did this many times. So he was last seen at 1 o'clock in the morning on that date. Uh, we don't know by who, but uh, he left on his ATV at 5 a.m. and was normally home by noon. Uh, he did not arrive, arrive home by noon. And about 2.30 p.m., his family called the police, Point Township Police. A search party was organized and um, his body was actually found uh, on uh, August 5th of 2002 at approximately 7.53 p.m. Now, some of the issues, even though that sounds pretty cut and dry, a lot of the issues are, are, you know, there were 200-plus searchers. There were divers that dove the pond on the property. We had, uh, they had search and cadaver dogs. They had a state police helicopter, uh, family, firemen, uh, they, they said approximately 200 uh, searchers looking for Mr. Cease, hmm. and they found no trace of him for 38 hours and 53 minutes. And they covered that whole six square miles of Northumberland Ridge. Now, they did find the ATV. Uh, it was intact. It had fuel. Uh, there were no keys, and uh, it was located uh, one mile uh, from his home. Um the body was found on the property, his property, under a down tree in an area that's pretty much heavily covered with brush and overgrowth by one of the searchers. Um, there was moderate to heavy decomposition had set in. Uh, he was wearing blue was the jeans. Tree, I'm gonna just jump. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just. I hate to do this, but I'm gonna. I, when no, little go things pop up, I'm gonna just jump in on you here. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Butch, but because uh, otherwise I'll forget them when <laughs> you know as we get further in. <laughs> Was the tree on him as if he had, as if that was how he had died? Like he was doing something with the tree and it fell on him and crushed no. him, or was it? Oh, it was, no, it was a tree that had fallen many years prior, and it oh, was just okay. it was okay. laid over on top of the brush, and he was actually under a space under the tree and under the brush. Okay, and I want to back you up to one more point. I think you said that mm-hmm. he was last seen, but you don't know who saw him. What is what is that? No, mean? Uh, we don't know if it, he uh, a wife and son also lived on the property. We don't know if it was the wife that last seen him at 1 a.m. or if it was the son that seen him at 1 a.m. 
Okay, okay. I just didn't. I was confused. Yeah. Like, uh, you and know, that was the last time he was seen him. alive. Okay. We just okay. don't know who it was. All right. So they and, find the body um, there. They find the body on the property. He's uh, just a matter of like a hundred yards or less from his back door. So that begs the question: You have two hundred people walking around this property, cadaver dogs, which would have smelled the decomposing body. Um, they had to walk past the area that the body was found in to get up onto the ridge, to get onto the trail, to go to the ridge. Family members were involved. They knew exactly where he used to go to hunt his, or to, to spot his deer. Um, his clothing, uh, his outer clothing, which would have been a um, one-piece coverall type of uh, suit, uh, that was uh, found many, many weeks later. Um, one shoe was found. Uh, the other shoe, uh, we have not confirmed it being in a tree, but we have three reports of the shoe was up in a tree. Um, the coroner said he was dead for 40, 24 to 46 hours. Um, from where the ATV was located to the house, I said, was a mile. Oh, and it's very rough terrain, uh, loaded with rattlesnakes. Um, so he had to walk that he would have had to walk from that ATV to his his home while he was decomposing. He was only gone for 38 hours, 43 minutes. <laughs> yeah, you're right, yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we've got, if you if you believe everything that was put out, and from the we have the autopsy report, we have the toxicology report, uh, and, you know, they just kind of blow it off as a cocaine overdose, but when you look at the toxicology report and you look at the amount of degraded cocaine left in his body, to get to that point after that amount of time, which was the 38, 38 hours and 53 minutes, you know, this guy would have had to snort half a Peru. Mm. So um, a lot of things wrong with the autopsy. We're still yeah, a lot of things you know, not I've shown that to two different here. pathologists. They agree. Um, then we show up. Then, then as it goes on, the, the clothing is found by the family. And it's turned over by the, to, to the police, and there is nothing in the pockets. They check the pockets. They're actually looking for the keys to the ATV. And yeah, we don't know where they found the that. clothing, uh, but it was turned over to the police, and the police turned it over to the coroner, um, and the coroner called the pathologist who did the autopsy and said there was cocaine in the pocket. The family vehemently de- denies that there was anything in those pockets. So then yeah, that, we get, yeah, yeah. They would. Do they mean like residue or like just a little bag of cocaine? Oh, they no. They they said uh, it was it was uh, 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 drugs. I mean, they didn't mention residue. It was drugs. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah. All right. It's, uh, okay. So, uh, so whether it was crack cocaine or or uh, you know powdered form or it was in a bag or a tube or whatever, but they, right, they right, said right, there was right, nothing right. in the clothing. So yeah. then, um, okay. you know, so the. Uh, I guess the nothing fits. Nothing, nothing just comes to mind that makes this thing go easy from the time he's missing till the time of the autopsy. When he's found, there's confliction on who is the coroner at the scene. The coroner we've been dealing with says he wasn't there because he wasn't in office at that time. Well, that wasn't true because he was elected in 2001. Todd passed in 2002. So he tried to blow us off and send us to somebody else. One of the <laughs> things I want to make clear right up front, and, 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 and Lon knows this also, everything that we have gotten on this case, we have in black and white from the people that we questioned, 
there is nothing that's being said that I don't have proof of. My little one-inch binder that I started with five years ago is now a six-inch binder that's packed. Uh, there's even a separate laptop that keeps nothing else in it but the Todd C's case. And wow. uh, so the body is found. It's pronounced at the scene. And for 14 hours, the body doesn't show up at the hospital. So where was the body for 14 hours? Normally, in any case, the body is taken or pronounced by the coroner. I don't care what kind of death it is. Pronounced by the coroner, taken in an ambulance or the coroner's van, and taken to the coroner's office uh, or directly to the hospital. Most often than not, it is taken directly to the hospital because the post is going to be done, and they have the, the facilities to keep a body overnight. Uh, in this case, the body shows up at the autopsy at 11 o'clock on the 6th of August in the morning. Um, things that you would look for in the autopsy that would suggest that there was a massive cocaine overdose, which the de degraded amount shown on toxicology report shows, uh, heart, damaged heart, um, uh, brain, uh, small aneurysms in the brain, um, Lungs, yeah, uh, congested. It's the kind of thing that they could open up the dead body and know it, they would know, right? And it's, it yeah. doesn't seem to add none up. None of that stuff. None of that stuff was found. His his heart, liver, lungs, pancreas. I mean, you know, right down to his toes. There was nothing wrong with this guy. Uh, one of the things that was interesting was they never took a swab of the throat. They never took a swab of the nostrils. Now the body was in pretty bad condition, so finding a needle mark would have been pretty much impossible. Um. So, uh, you know, it's and, and just, I say one thing. One thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, the most interesting thing about the body, there was no blood in it. Wow. The blood, the blood was gone. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you're and, right. Uh, and um, jumping in with that, that's weird. <laughs> was there any? Oh, so I guess if they couldn't find a needle mark, they couldn't find a puncture mark either, right? So we wouldn't know necessarily no. how they got the blood out, uh, theoretically. Well, I'll just give you a section here from uh, just a, a sentence here from the autopsy report. It says the heart weighs 300 grams. The chambers are devoid of blood. The blood for toxicology is removed from the iliac veins, which are in your leg, lower leg. And um, but that was very strange, also. The now, condition I'm of the body they, is, that, that there wasn't just a ton of blood all around the body when they found it. Right? No, 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 no. Okay, obviously, no. Or they would have if. You know, yeah, I've, I've been to autopsies where, you know, people have been in accidents or something like that. You know, they got their busted head or whatever, whatever killed them. But they'll open up the chest, and you'll see that the, the heart's filled. It, now, it's it's not pumping, so it's just laying in there in a, in a pool. Or there's blood laying in the cavity of the chest, you know, when they remove the heart. So there's always blood in that area. Saying, yeah. uh, but evidently, in this yeah. case, there wasn't. It's like when you take out your washing machine, uh, if you have to replace it, uh, there's always some water still in there somehow. Absolutely. <laughs> Just replace he, the toilet. He, oh, what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but, uh, thing, there are just the so many things found. wrong with it, Tim, that, you know, uh, yeah, the you know, Lon had gathered some information. The body. Let, me, let, me, uh, let me stop you, Butch, because oh, yeah. uh, Lon's, Lon's got a point here. Go ahead, Lon. The, Go ahead. The, and another strange thing about when the body was found, uh, the family wasn't allowed to identify the body. How'd they identify it? They just said, oh, okay, well, we property. Now they were we like, have right, we got a police it. chief that says he identified the body. Back up just a 
a sec here, and we have a fire chief that says he identified the body. Then we have a friend that says he identified the body, and we have a, re- a, a searcher that was on the scene that he identified the body because he knew him from school. Uh, oh, so God. who identified the body is we have no clue. I almost I hate to ju- I want I want to jump in a way to the end in a sense just to ask like why is this why is this cover up unfolding on this guy's death what what could possibly I guess it's is it, is it so epically horrifying that they don't want people to know really what happened to him is that kind of what you're thinking here well if you I remember can't imagine in, why uh, else if you remember the last time we talked there was a UFO report that day Mm-hmm. and two fishermen that were out on the river, which is just uh, be south of the of the ridge, uh, saw a a a, uh, a craft above the power lines where this is where he went in and up into the woods into the power line, and and they said they saw a beam coming down and they saw something being drawn up into the craft and it looked like a man kicking and carrying on. In his shorts, in his shorts, his underwear. Hmm. And that's how the body is found. Now, he wasn't wearing underwear, but he did have on a pair of cut-off jeans. So what they saw, which was had nothing to do with anybody, is the way he was found. Jesus. And another wow. thing... There was a very, there is, I'm sure she's retired now, but there was a a very, very famous pathologist, uh, Dr. Leanne Grossberg. I mean, she worked on every huge, big case there ever was. And she made a statement one time that I I think is still taught in every every police academy in the country, where anytime you find, I quote, anytime you find a decomposing, partially clothed body dead in the woods, it should be considered a homicide until otherwise proven. Now, for many years, this case was closed to anybody asking questions. If I had a nickel for every FOIA request I sent in, I would probably be able to take a really nice vacation and take yeah. Lon along with me. And <laughs> I've gotten FOIA requests back where they sent it back because a word was misspelled, or I had the wrong department, or I didn't spell the person's name right. You know, oh, God. I can spell a JC's. Trust me. In my sleep, it came back and said, well, it should have been apostrophe, so we can't find anything with S-E-E-S. It should be S-E-E apostrophe S. No, it's not. It's S-E-E-S, you idiot. So, My goodness, yeah, that's really giving you a runaround here. Yeah, all the stuff we tried to get from Point Township Police Department. Then we find out not too awful long ago through the CCU unit that they weren't even, they were, yeah, they were in under preliminary investigation, but the investigation was actually held by the Pennsylvania State Police. Hmm. The, those, the Point Township police were not at the autopsy, and if it would have been their case, they would have been at the autopsy taking photos, information, talking to the doctor, everything else. They weren't there. There was a trooper there from the state police that took the samples with him, uh, you know, a set of samples of hair, fingernails. And that's another thing, cocaine overdose. Why would you take fingernails? Why would you take hair samples? Cocaine overdoses no happen in this country on a daily basis by the hundreds Hundreds. Why is this case so different? Why is everybody shutting every door that we knock on in our face? Hmm. Makes no sense whatsoever. And people have lied to us. The coroner's lied to us. We got him on paper. He, you know, uh, the cops, uh, uh, fire company. I mean, we've been given the runaround so long 
that, you know, until we got the information that we've recently gotten within the last year and a half, which is the autopsy toxicology and, and family members talking to us, that it's starting to come together like, okay, so now what really did happen? I mean, well, what is the you know, we can't even find We know where he's buried. We have a picture of his tombstone. Do you think that the cemetery will tell us when he was buried there? No. Well, was there a funeral? Don't know. Was I, We know there wasn't a viewing because uh, even the, the, the coroner tells us it was a closed, his, his words, it's going to be a closed, uh, closed coffin and nobody, nobody will ever see that body. When we ask for pictures of the autopsy, yeah. no, no one will ever see those it's pictures still- of the autopsy. Weird. So why didn't the family – I would think there would be more outrage from the family over all this. Uh, you say you're talking – They just wanted to, to go family. away. They just yeah. wanted well, to go away. Let me, let me, st- let me state, and, and Peter Davenport stated that when the case started unfolding during the search that the FBI showed up. Well, I, I don't think it was the FBI, but anyway, when his body was found – they gathered all the searchers in the family and took them back to the Tuckahoe Fire Department building, closed the doors, and these guys who were supposedly FBI told everybody to forget everything they saw, do not talk about this to anyone. Yeah. They told the family the same thing. Now, I, I tend to think these weren't FBI. I think <clears throat> it was the military. Yeah, yeah, some alphabet agency of sorts that we don't yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, so early on, folks. something was going on with this. I mean, there were there was a, uh, if you want to call it a cover up or whatever, something something was initiated early. Very very weird. So what? So okay, but but to circle back to what I was asking, though, or saying, or observing, uh, mm-hmm. what you you're talking to the family now? What are they saying? Are they mad? Are they are they uh, are they? No, they, what, they, what are you hearing they, nowadays? Well, we've had one, we've had one that's given us some good information, hmm. and then uh, another family member found out she was talking to one of the members of our CCU unit, who was in California, and um, she chimed in and, and you know just really freaked out on the other one. Oh, so God. then the other one started giving us misinformation, right? Like she said, oh, well, geez. the reason they didn't smell the body, the dogs didn't smell the body, and nobody else did, was because we had a really, really hard rain. Well, it only took me about three minutes to figure, you know, find that on the Internet, what the rain was for that day in that area. Uh, On the day that he disappeared, the temperature, high temperature was 93, uh, cloudy, humid, no rain. Uh, The next day it was like .015 inches of rain fell. That wouldn't even (laughs) wet my driveway. Yeah. So... That story went out the window, uh, and I don't know if folks know a lot about cadaver dogs, but you could bury somebody six feet in the dirt, under dirt, and pack it down. That dog's going to find that body. Yeah. Now, this guy is in his own backyard, and they're walking past the area he's found in for two days. Nobody smells him. Nobody sees him until 7.53 that evening. So where was he? Was he even on Northumberland Ridge? Did this oh, all clearly whatever not. happened to yeah. him happen to him off the ridge and during the night, or which I find hard to believe, during the night the body was placed there. But then you have a whole day where they started first thing in the morning till seven fifty three at night, and nobody sees him till seven fifty three at night. How did he get there? 
He surely didn't walk. If you believe the coroner, 24 to 36 hours deceased, there is no way. Yeah. Uh, for a normal person to walk a flat road uh, for one mile, 20 minutes tops. This region is rugged, and I mean it's rugged. It's loaded with rattlesnakes, and it's, it's rocks, and it's a steep climb, and all this other garbage. So here's a guy that's overdosed, and he's walking back, and nobody sees him? He doesn't see 200 people walking around this ridge? He doesn't see a helicopter? He, I mean, he, the, 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 the power line itself, I forget how wide it is. Uh, I think it was 100 and... I think it's 115, 120 feet wide, clear, and they keep the grass cut low because the power lines go up through there and they need access to it. So this is big, clear area that goes from the top of the ridge to the bottom of the ridge to a farm, and he could have walked down the middle of the ridge. He would have bumped into people. He would have fell into people. So how does a guy in this condition, the shape of the body's in, uh, the condition of his clothing, the marks on the body, and all the other stuff, walk one mile from that ATV in 38 hours plus, to his own backyard where they find him, totally decomposed. It doesn't make any sense. It's very strange. No. I'm 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 still puzzled by it. Uh what I guess sort of give me give me you guys have this briefing and I don't want to like uh over over uh indulge in a sense, you know, I don't want you guys to have to re rehash this. So what what sort of what sort of new stuff have you found? I, I guess the the problem in a sense is how much further can you go? What more do you need? Obviously, we need to know a lot more, but but what well, directions that's, that's can you go what, to get any information at this point? Well, we're planning on possibly going up near the area and uh, <laughs> maybe doing a few things. I don't know, but you know, but something did strange. Something strange did happen actually right after we did the program on Beyond the Edge Radio. What's that? And that you know, I, we had been looking for the social security number for. Todd sees since forever, and uh, we had checked even Ancestry.com and a few other sources. The day after the presentation, his Social Security number pops up on Ancestry.com. Whoa! Did you uh, had you mentioned that on your show? That no, you couldn't find no, the show was yeah, over. Just, just, just the first show we've done since then, so it's coming here exclusively. Also. We got uh, a parking or a driving infraction ticket, uh, and we've never been able to get anything, you know, on the record from the courts or anything. That was found as well. Yeah. Well, no. I so his criminal that. record is uh, a traffic violation of, uh, I think he was doing 45 in a 35 zone. He paid the ticket and pled guilty. So okay. if this guy what, was such a I, heavy was, pain uh, user, where is his record? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Where's his Not high some, school uh, record? Habitual Where's criminal. his marriage records? Where's his property records? Where is his place of employment records? Where's his hunting license, fishing license, driver's license? I can go back into PennDOT here in Pennsylvania and pull up my driver's license when I took my test when I was 16 years old. It even has the name wow. of the trooper that gave me my test. That's still available. He can, I, you can't get, get anything on this. Nope, no military Weird. record, no nothing. And the fact that when we talked to a few folks that, you know, were he was very heavily involved in the Little League up there, very heavily, the Nuri Little League. Uh, was one of the coaches, loved by everybody. And talking to one guy and, you know, mentioned the cocaine thing, and he says, you know, I never believed any of that. And he said, I'm going to tell you why. And these are his words. 
had we known that one of our coaches was using drugs, there ain't no way they'd get within 100 miles of these kids. Right. And if they'd show up, they'd take a hell of a beating. Mm. So, I mean, these are people that knew him, worked with him. Uh, We did find out he was a truck driver for a bread company. Um, We tried that route and got nowhere. Uh, Yeah. We've had so many doors slammed, but at the same time, over this five-year period, doors have kind of opened up either willingly or unwillingly, uh, either on purpose or by mistake, just like the Social Security number that was never there. The day that we did the show, it was not there. And then yeah, that's what the I was asking day, you. That's, that's, that's what I was did, did it come up, though, on the show? Like, Do you think, that it, it, do you, think you got no. the information I think in somebody was listening to, to the show. Just... I think somebody was yeah. listening to the show. Yeah, I think so. And when we mentioned that we couldn't find anything, they had looked for it, and they didn't find it, and then the, the following day, they found it. It was there. Weird. Very and even weird. using well, it now? People are listening with more information. You know, mm-hmm. part of me, because I'm hearing this from you, uh, from you guys, and it's like, geez, man, isn't anyone going to stand up for Todd? Isn't anyone going to, you know, oh, why are yeah. these people slamming doors in, in the face of Butch and Lawn? Like, they, they deserve, Todd deserves better, man. We need to know what happened to this guy. She, clearly, we'll somebody else must feel bad Nobody for Nobody else will. Right, that's what I'm saying. It, so, it's really, I, uh, I, you know, I, I said to one family member many years ago, who denied ever talking to me until we showed her the emails that she sent me and I sent back to her, that um, I said, you know, we don't know what happened. We don't know if he was murdered. We don't know if he was abducted. We don't know uh, if it was, uh, uh, you know, a gambling debt payoff or a drug deal gone bad. I said, we have no idea. But with the information we have now, we know that this was no simple cocaine overdose. No way, shape, right. or form. I yeah. mean, you just take that amount of cocaine and walk around anywhere. Matter of fact, the one pathologist said to me, with the amount of degraded uh, uh, that they show on the toxicology report that was in his system, he would have probably lasted for maybe three, four minutes at the most. And he wouldn't have walked anywhere. He would have fell over. His heart would have went And they would have found the body. Like They would have found the exactly. body. Exactly. Where he took it. Makes no sense. Right where he took it. And why it shows up in his yard, and nobody sees it for 38 and 30, well, say 34 hours. And then the, the, and even the coroner says, well, he was dead for 24 to 36 hours. And the autopsy kind of says, yeah, it's pretty much that. you know. So where was he? How did he get from where he was to the yard? And nobody saw him. Um, and then it, what, even if they, you know, the scenario of him, somebody depositing the body overnight, that doesn't wash that's either. That's what because, I was just about. But you might yeah, be psychic. No, no, that that's not going to wash because they're, they're, they're looking the whole day from daybreak and then, until they find the body at 7.53. So how did the body get there? Yeah. There are no broken bones. There are no signs of any trauma whatsoever on that body. None. Cuts, bruises, bangs, punctures, all that stuff, but no trauma to the interior of the body. Matter of fact, if you would read that autopsy, and I told you the guy died of a, of, of a, a stroke or a heart attack, uh, you'd say, oh, okay, because the, in, the interior of the body is normal, absolutely, from head to toe. And I guess no trauma from being dropped then? Nope. Mm-mm. Because nope. you're, you're in a conundrum. Uh, we're all in a conundrum here looking at this. It's bizarre because mm-hmm. if he was taken you, up by the UFO, it. how did the UFO put him back without anyone seeing that? Right. 
I, I don't know. And I, the thing <laughs> is, you know, of course, the only strange thing about the body horse was, you know, the no, there was no blood in the system. Mm. And uh, then, then you got to figure, well, how did they draw blood to, to take the toxicology report? Well, it was it said in the uh, in the report that it was taken from the lake. Well, I, you know, I talked to a I talked to a, a former coroner, and he told me he don't, he didn't ever he's never done that. He never had to be able to do that. You know, they figured it was, um, you know, when a body settles and there's no lividity. Well, there was no lividity because there was no blood in the body. Oh. Hmm. The, the, there was no post-mortem lividity. No. And the thing is, uh, when the when the body was recovered and it was bagged up and taken, where they take it to? Well, the closest place they could have taken to where it was private was the coroner's funeral home. Uh, before they drove it to Allentown, which is I don't know how many miles away from there. Yeah. It was a good distance. Um, so it was there. I have, I think it was probably there. And, you know, I don't want to sound too conspiratorial uh, <laughs> with this, but uh, I, I believe I believe something was injected in this body. I, up, that, that's, just my, that's just my thought. To produce the cocaine, you mean? Yeah. Interesting. Yep, I, I think uh, I think something was injected into the body before it went to the, to be uh, forensically well taken to to the forensic pathologist in in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And now when the when the the autopsy was done, it was another matter of I think it was six weeks before the body was even released to the family. And when it was released to the family, it was in a sealed coffin. And the coroner told the family, so first of all, why did he say that? And second of all, was the body even in there? That's what I was just going to ask you, Lon. It seems like maybe did they ever even give the body back? And But part of me is like if I, if someone I was related – I don't know. That's a question, I guess, for anyone in the audience in a way. If If someone I knew, a family member or something, died and they produced the body and they were like, do not open this. That part of me, I think, would be feel compelled that I'd almost have to, for some for some reason, you know, just. It, but maybe I wouldn't because I'd be too spooked out. I don't know. That's, like I said, that's a question for everybody. But part of me is. Well, you know that that always that always fascinated me with the seal coffin. So you know, I I did you know look, I did ask somebody not long ago. He was in the military, and uh, I, I said, "Had you ever heard of that?" And he said, the only thing I can tell you was if it was a pathogen in the body, oh, they would they would actually uh, weld the body into a metal container. Strange, interesting. So maybe uh, now, that I don't reason. know if that was the I don't know if that was the case or not. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what kind of what kind of coffin or casket or box or whatever this was they put them in. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we don't maybe. Know about that. You know, I don't know. But, uh, and another strange thing would would be, why would the coroner call the pathologist, the MD, that did the autopsy, weeks afterwards to advise them that the clothing was found and there was cocaine in the pocket when the toxicology report, which came out before that, already said that he died of a cocaine overdose? 
maybe just to call and be like, hey, man, we were right. Don't worry about it. That makes no it. sense whatsoever. Nope. I know. Well, I'm, you just, know, I'm trying. We've been, coming up, <laughs> we've been talking Good try. back and forth on Thank you. what possibly could have happened in this thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it sounds really out there. But just let me throw maybe one or two at you here. Please do. Hey, man, you picked the right you picked the right venue call. for out there discussion. So let's do it. Um, when his body was found, he had a lot of little scrapes and cuts and stuff all over the body. Okay. There was a huge bruise on his head, the top of his head. Ooh. Now, did <clears throat> now did this. This craft that was seen by the fishermen on the river was also seen by a farmer on the other side of the ridge. So we've got two verifiable witnesses of a craft. It's impossible, one scenario, that he was up there at the wrong time and he started running and into the briars and the bushes and stuff to get away from something. Say possibly possibly something that was dropped there to chase him. Why would he take his clothes off? You think? Why would he take the coveralls off? Especially running all that all, all that brush and well, the shoes. You know, I, you know that mm. yeah, that's it. It's shoes also. Yeah, unless it was like he was overcome with madness of some kind. I don't know. Not with you that know, amount of cocaine. It, it, it just no. I don't mean yeah, no. Yeah. I don't mean from the. I don't mean from the cocaine. I mean from the UFO and the beam and. You know, oh, yeah. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. maybe he's like, if I take off all my clothes, it won't see me. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? You know, you, you know, don't know another, another thing Butch and I were talking about just not long ago, uh, the state of Pennsylvania has a lot of, uh, has a lot of underground facilities, small, some, some are larger. A lot of them we really don't know about. Hmm. And, uh, we were kind of bantering back and forth that possibly, this the the, uh, the ridge, the Montour Ridge, had some type of facility there that he just happened to stumble across. Something happened to him. He came in the wrong place at the wrong time. Can that account for why the so-called FBI or maybe the military people showed up? That I mean, yeah. it's just something you got to think about. I mean, you know, the fact that his body showed up where it showed up. After all the people had been searching that area, and uh, it's only what seventy. Uh, this pond is seventy foot from the sea's house. Yeah, I'm looking at the overhead view something? here. Yeah, how could you, yeah? How could you drop a body there without first of all people seeing it being placed there, or second of all, if it's been there, why did they miss it? See, and third of all, if is, that's a fact, these guys are the worst search team that ever hit the hit the planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the, it's, the, it's virtually impossible for all these people to walk. If you look at that, or you're looking at the overhead, you'll see that in yeah. the front of the home, there's a, a road, a trail. That trail mm-hmm. takes you over to the to the uh, power line. Power line. And there's it's even a very steep incline and a very steep decline to get over a hump that's there in the mountain just to get to that. So, you know, when you look at a topo map of that area, I mean, it's just rocks and boulders and steep inclines and declines and uh, trees where you can't see your hand in front of your face. And 
and this guy's supposed to be all hopped up on cocaine and makes it back to his house. But he's yeah. de- he, he's decomposing in the meantime. Yeah, it's a zombie walking around up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the, basically. we talking about the doors being slammed in your face. It's like that. I mean, I mean, I sort of touched on this earlier. Where can you go from here? You can't exhume the body, right? You have no right to do that. You have, certainly, and you don't have the financial means either, I presume. So that's out of the question. Even if you wanted to, right? If we hit the lottery tomorrow, we couldn't call up the state of Pennsylvania and be like, yeah, we want the Todd Steve mm, No, we couldn't. But it would have right. to be a family yeah, member, a direct family yeah. member. But it's amazing that there is, it's a very know, large I, family. I, I guess, yeah, I guess at this point we're just hoping that, uh, you know, somebody comes forward. You know, that's why we're doing what we're doing, you know. Absolutely. Kind of shake the trees and try to get something to fall out of it. And, um, I mean, it took us... It took us five no, years I, to get I think his. We had made some progress in the past year. I think so. Oh too. yeah, yeah it, it took us five years work. to get his social security number and arrest record, but we got it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, exactly. I hope it don't take another five years to get anything else. But I, I think there are people out there that want to talk. They just don't want to call us and tell us that. They, it, it's more like, like the the the, the stuff that was given the the social security number and the arrest record. I mean, when we looked for that stuff for years, and there was nothing there. And the right. day after Ron and I do that program, it shows up. So somebody out there, it's either a family member or somebody that was a very good friend or somebody that knew him, but being with the Social Security number, I, I know on that site, that Ancestry.com, you actually have to have a, a lot of information to get in there to get any information. Yeah. You know, like, you got to be a family member, you got to tell them who you are, you got to pay a fee. Uh, to get that information. So somebody went to that trouble, and I'm mm. assuming pretty much that it was a family member. So there's somebody out there that wants to talk, and and we're going to give them every opportunity to do that. If I've got to march all over Northumberland County and the surrounding counties and park my butt there along with Lon and, and some other researchers, and we're going to try to get that information. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got 20 minutes here. Uh, I'll, I'll, give out, I'll give out the phone number in case someone out there wants to. 646-378-1868. If there's someone out there, only someone with Todd C's information. So I, I doubt we're going to get anything right away, but <laughs> maybe we'll get something in the next 20 minutes. Go ahead, Lon. Also, uh, there was a, a UFO sighting, type UFO sighting on, near the ridge not long after we did the show in the early part of February. So, uh, and that was actually up on MUFON's uh, case uh, uh, case uh, management system. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, you know, and it, actually, the, the UFO activity has happened there before and after the incident. So, um, well, this is kind of a shot in the dark. But have you gotten any? Because uh, I, I I sort of did this half heartedly, joking here uh, about the call in. But have you gotten anybody that's? Uh, I guess, you know, I tread lightly if you have, but have you gotten anybody who's sort of spoken to you on the QT about it at all? You know, like, oh, I, I, I haven't. No, uh, I, just, I, I personally haven't. Butch? Yeah, just family members on our part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that has... It, you wonder, and and uh, you, you hope, I guess, because this happened in 2002, you hope that maybe, maybe there's a cop that was there some, even if it was on the periphery of the whole thing as it unfolded, that might have any additional information, and maybe they're retired now and they'll want to step up and and say something. You know, you just figure with well, that many I, people I, around in the scene. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm counting on. That you know, you had 200 plus people out there 
divers, uh, search dogs, cadaver dogs, um, uh, police officers, firemen, friends, family. Uh, right. There were just so many people from all walks there. Somebody, somebody will call. Somebody will get a hold of us, or, and I know that somebody will give us information. They may not want to give it on the internet. They may not want to give it uh, by telephone or anything. But we're going to give them the opportunity to meet us in person. And if they've got a story or they got information, they can come tell us, and nobody will be the wiser. Yeah. Because we don't give out anybody's information. The the only people well, that has ever that you know that we and they and as a matter of fact the information the family was given us was given it to us over Facebook. <laughs> well, so, I'm sure there's you know I guess somebody not real. Knows something that is riveted by this case and 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 wants to say something. So speak up, mm-hmm. uh, whoever you are out there, because uh, like I said, someone needs to stand up for Todd here and all this. Uh, it, uh, you know, especially because it doesn't seem like he really died of a drug overdose what a what a crappy way to go you know something mysterious and terrible happens to you then they smear you afterwards you know it's like a double whammy of uh of not coolness man and and, well, and if you just no legacy no he's, ahead, he's been given no he's been given no legacy other than maybe this guy was you know killed by aliens and that's that's kind of what's out there you know we we went in with an open mind you know that First of all, first and foremost, we're not going to say that this guy was, that Todd Seas was abducted and killed. Mm. We're going to try to come up with an alternative, you know, an alternative reason or alternative answer to what happened. But I'm telling you, the further and further we've gone into this, you know, we even, we even have someone who's a code breaker, a psyche working with us, a guy we call Oz. Yeah, and he's got people working for him. Now he has put us on some pretty good directions, but uh, well, what? what know, all right, now, Lon, you can't you can't say that. You can't tease me like that. What what kind? Of, <laughs> at, at the risk of of giving anything uh, <laughs> substantial away here that might blow the whole thing up, uh, what what kind of directions has he sent you in? Well, he, he's he's put it this way. He's got us thinking in uh, terms that maybe you know that like maybe something else might have been involved. In okay. other words, please, uh, let's put it this way. One of the code words he came up with was Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Now, I'm I'm just saying, hmm. you know, but you know when you think about it, let's say the guy, let's say the guy ran into something like that. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time. You know, Let's say that may that may have happened. You know, it's 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 not any more crazy than some of the other uh, scenarios that can come up. It's not any more outlandish than that he was taken by a UFO. Well, that's for sure. So you have to yeah. keep, keep them both. You know, I, I'm just putting that out there. But he's come up a lot of he's come up with a lot of different things. Uh, well, he well, came up with like the bases that we didn't even give a thought to. What's that? All the bases. I said he uh, came up with the uh, oh, yeah. military underground bases that we never even thought of. Yeah, yeah, he did. And uh, the duck pond, he he picked that right up because that's what everybody was calling this pond, and uh, that was that information was never released. Hmm. Well, it's very strange. And even if you know, even if we eliminate the UFO aspect of it, like I said, no one speaks for Todd. What if 
the guy could have just been, even if it was a simple prosaic murder, then the murderer has gotten away. So people should be should care about it. That's the frustrating part, you know. Well, exactly. If it was a murder. He was a he was a he was a real idiot because he could have just basically gone up there top of ridge and smacked him over the head and yeah. walked away. So you know. <laughs> yeah, you know at that you know when you're looking at the overhead, you can see how desolate that area is up there. I mean, somebody could have walked up there and they could have shot him. They could have stabbed him. They could have strangled him. They could have done anything they wanted to him. Walked off the ridge, got in their car, and drove away, and nobody ever would have known the difference. Exactly. You're but right. unfortunately, it didn't no. happen that way. And some of these yeah. researchers out there that are are putting stuff on the net, you know, saying that you know Todd Cease was the body was found mutilated, and that it was absolutely an abduction by aliens. You know, these guys need to get a life because Todd Cease was not mutilated. And as far as the aliens, I hope they have a lot more proof than we can come up with. Because I wouldn't put that out there. It's part of yeah. a scenario, you know, when you're putting this whole this whole thing together. You, you, you know, you take even the furthest thing in your mind and you throw it down on paper. And then you try to take it apart. Well, could this have happened? Uh, could it have happened this way? What's the hmm. timeline? And the timeline in this case is so important. And it was something that I really never got into until uh, I got the autopsy report and the tox report. Because they started putting times in there and you know then and, and statements and and when this happened and when that happened and when you put it all together it's it makes no sense whatsoever it just doesn't yeah. i i have i have more evidence to prove that we had a zombie uh, a, a walking dead walking around northumberland ridge for 38 hours and 53 minutes than i have anything else i have more proof of that i can prove yeah. that according to their yeah. statements <laughs> but I can't, you know, uh, and and the nonsense that is flying around just really makes, it's not, it, it's just not beneficial either to the family or to the memory of this guy. And here's one thing yeah. that really okay. bugs me. The family found the clothing. Okay, well, I'm going to use me. If I found my brother's clothing and he died of a cocaine overdose mm-hmm. and I found cocaine in his pocket, do you think I'd turn that over to the police, or do you think I'd stomp it into the ground? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Why would Why would you? Even, the whole thing there doesn't make any sense at all. No, that makes no sense whatsoever. I don't think anybody would do that. I mean, if they found something in his pocket, it'd still be up on that mountain. Trust me. And they still hmm. never found the other shoe, or the keys, uh-uh. or and you know, out of everything he was wearing, the only thing they recovered was the coveralls. Yeah. And here's another. Here's a guy that goes spotting preseason deer. I don't know if you're a deer hunter or if you ever went hunting. When you go for nah, preseason deer, no, he has no knife. He is in an area that is known for rattlesnakes. It's probably one of the best known places for rattle. They have roundups there all the time. No snake bite kit. Mm-hmm. No tourniquet. He has no binoculars. No camera. Uh, not even a pocket knife. And um, he's on an ATV. He has, uh, there's no mention of he took a sandwich or, you know, a couple bottles of soda or coffee or anything like that. I mean, so that well, doesn't even make sense with, to me as an ex-hunter. Why yeah, you would well, the do trouble that. with the case, too, in a lot of ways is once you go down one avenue, there's little things that pop up in the details of the story that don't work for it anymore. Because you're saying, like, all these rattlesnakes, right? Let's say... He got bit by a rattlesnake, and the and the coroner missed it somehow, and 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 therefore uh, we never really knew that he got bit by the rattlesnake. That wouldn't explain all the blood that went missing. 
Well, no, and it, and a rattlesnake bite would have showed up in Cox's. Somebody said that rattlesnake was found near the body. Was there a rattlesnake? Was there yep. a dead rattlesnake? They said that the there was a rattlesnake that was yeah. in the same condition he was within three foot of him, but we cannot find any information that verifies that fact. And also, That's if he was bitten by a snake, the venom would have showed up in toxicology. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't bit by a snake. And I no. don't think the rattlesnake was even there. I, I think that was something that was made up. There just seemed to be a you know, lot of different first, things that were made up. You know, the first reports, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not demeaning Peter, but, you know, he was going on information that was given to him. And, you know, yeah. so how much bad information was fed to Peter before he put that first report out? <clears throat> and then you get the, the people that go out there and they feed on that report, which yeah. is why when we did this in the very beginning, I said I want to get everything I can that's out there together. And then I want to – my second part of that uh, on the investigation is going to be to see what's actually factual. And we beat around mm-hmm. that for three and a half years before we got information and people started talking, whether willingly or not. And and we got paperwork, and we got in contact uh, with the coroner and the DA and the police department, and then, you know, and then just started putting it all together. And um, you know, like I said, you know, we were lied to, and but <laughs> at least they were. Well, here's an interesting direction. Well, right though, enough did... to put it on paper. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Now you're saying you had all these doors slammed in your face, uh, metaphorically, and and. Um... You know, no one's spoken to you on the QT about this stuff. But did you ever mm-hmm. get warned off of the case? Did anyone say, listen, Butch, you know, or listen, Lon, don't just stop with the Todd C's thing. You've gone far enough, you know, just, just trust me. You don't want to look at you know, any further or anything like that. Did anyone try to, any brushback? No. Uh, I kind of did. Uh, I, 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 what happened was I was, uh, when I got involved with this, I had uh, some connection to uh, someone up in the uh, Northumberland County, uh, uh, I guess the clerk's office, but in the county courthouse, whatever. But um, this person who lived in an adjoining county is a friend of mine. He put in a few favors and tried to get some things opened up, and uh, he couldn't do it. And he told me that he was warned to keep his nose out of it. Oh, he was told that. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, and he's in that. He does not. He's not one of these people that backs all the stuff very easily. And uh, I, because I used him for a case years ago, a UFO case up there. And he got some information for me. But he actually works for the county government in one of the counties near there. And uh, he knew some of the people there. And apparently he got told. Now, I don't know who told him that, but that's, he was that's, backed off. That's unsettling. Well, we're in the uh, the final five minutes here. Butch, what's going on with you? I was trying to uh, go through this website I thought I had for you, paufosearch.com, but I'm not getting anything. Uh, what's what's your web hub that we can direct it's, people The to? website is ufo-r-c-o-p.com. UFORCOP. Right there, we go. What's that stand for? You four cop. You well, UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania. I figured that part out, but what's the R cop? What's that? UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania. Okay, there you go. 
I didn't. Hey, I didn't know what the story. Give <laughs> 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 me some. Give me some slack here, Butch. How's the? At the we like I said, we we're we're kind of short on time. But what's the? How's the prognosis here on human mutilations? Uh, when we first talked a while ago, uh, we're, we, we we're only had a handful a lot of, of re- cases. Uh, we're getting a lot out. of reports out of out of Europe that yeah, uh, started yeah. they started investigating oh. back in uh 68 uh, the gentleman had just passed away he wow. was a police officer a retired police officer he had just passed away and he turned all his files over uh to another gentleman over there who's uh, been going through the files and he's been sending us stuff of what's going on over there where they have found a whole family um uh, the last one I got was a whole family uh, that was just laying outside their vehicle. It was a, uh, a husband, a wife, and a daughter and son laid there uh, just uh, stripped clean of skin, just Jeez. from head to toe. And not not, not roughly ripped off. I mean, just no skin. It just like they never had skin. And mm-hmm. um, um, when he dug into that, I mean, he was the guy that had the constable knocking on his door within five minutes, you know. Of yeah. making it public, when was this? Um, but over there they are right very like here they kind of blow you off and try to make you look like an idiot, you know. Like yeah, sure, sure, sure. Over there they take it very seriously. I mean, you will get a knock on the door by somebody, and he's had run-ins with the um, uh, Ministry of Defense. He's had run-in with local police. He had he's had a run-in with their their uh, MI6. I mean, yeah, this this guy's had a lot of run-ins, but. He's smart, and and I kind of took stuff from him, and uh, he said, don't keep everything in one place, which I didn't. I make copies of everything, and I have it scattered all over the place. So everybody has complete of what I have. There's six copies out there. Nice. So if I disappear, at least the work will be there. (laughs) Exactly. We have that to hang your hat on, right? Well, what's... Yeah, and uh, and, uh, we have have 11 groups now uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the states. Uh, We're putting on two more shortly. Uh, I'd like to get one investigative group in every state. Uh, we we resurrected Jar Magazine, uh, which was originally done in Utah, um, and uh, by Elaine Douglas. She passed away, but she was the head of my Utah branch, and uh, she passed away three days before it actually came to fruition on the internet. And with that, we're just making uh, giving people an opportunity to see what's going on with abductions, uh, what they can do, who they can contact. Uh, different stories that are out there uh, that are, are real stories that people have actually reported. Um, we've got um, four researchers on our team that are uh, abductees uh, and have been studying abductions for many, many, many years, like 35, 40 years. Wow. Uh, so, um, you know, there's tremendous. no database for abductions like there is for UFOs or Bigfoot or anything else. We but, need more uh, we databases thought, on all this stuff. Yeah, so we got we we put the we put the, it's a bi-monthly uh and uh a second issue just was published at the beginning of this month and we've got a lot of good feedback from it and I hope it continues and we got more people that want to put information in on abductions and their experiences which it just helps everybody all around. Yeah. Yeah, what's quickly what's the URL on that? We're under a minute, so I need you to fly. We need what? What's the URL for the magazine? Jar? Uh, yeah, it's right on. Uh, when you open up the website, you'll see it there. There's a thing. Okay, and you just so click just on that, and it'll take you right U-F-O-R-C-O-P. Yep. U-F-O-R-C-O-P. Exactly. That's really simple and uh, easy to remember. So we got 30 seconds left. Uh, just hang on, guys, and uh, we'll 
we'll sort of wrap it up off the air here for the uh, podcast listeners. Thanks to all the folks who tuned in live. Very quiet chat room, but I don't mind it because it got me a chance to uh, really dig in here with Butch and Lon. Thank you guys so much. I enjoyed it tremendously. What a compelling conversation. What a tremendous case, and uh, I look forward to hearing updates on this because new stuff could bubble up any minute now with this amazing story. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. All right. Well, we just lost the live listeners, but again, uh, I had to kind of rush that because we were running out of time. But seriously, guys, just tremendous stuff, tremendous work. What a what a crazy, crazy story. And thank you for keeping it alive. Uh, you know, I don't know why I feel like such a passionate supporter of Todd here, but but there's a part of me that this really resonates uh, in. So I really uh, do appreciate you guys doing the work on on getting to the bottom of this, and hopefully. Like I said, you could just hear something any minute now. You know, you know, you never know. You could get an email from somebody any day now that might open up a whole new avenue on this. Absolutely, well, that's what we're hoping happens. You know, we're going to start getting ourselves out in the public a little more, and mm-hmm. uh, hoping that uh, you know, just somebody who doesn't want to do it any other way but face to face, even if they don't tell us their name, but if they just give us a hint of something uh, is going on or something is um, not quite right. Uh, and yeah. just puts us in another direction, which will help us out. I, I, I'm just thrilled to have that happen. Exactly. Yeah, that's all we're looking for. And uh, like I said, uh, there's still listeners here on the podcast version. And folks, I, I have a feeling there's somebody out. Obviously, there's somebody out there that knows more about this. And hopefully, it's eating away at them, and they want to say something. So they definitely should. And uh, UFO RCOP is the website for Butch, and as I said, Phantoms and Monsters dot com is the website for Lawn. Okay, okay, you take, take care, care now. now. Thanks a lot, guys. And if you're just tuning into the program through Blog Talk and you have no idea how you found us, we are Banal of America dot com. You can check it out at b i n n a l l of America dot com. And if you're on Facebook, check us out on Facebook. Same thing, Banal of America. What you just listened to was a two-hour live program with Lon Strickler and Butch Witkowski. The BOA Audio Archive is jam-packed with over 200 episodes covering just every topic under the sun in the world of esoterica, and it is all entirely free. That is because, or thanks to, I should say, the amazing BOA Audio listeners who make donations. So, if you can help us out and you want to Add some fuel to the BOA mothership and keep the franchise rolling. There are two ways you can do so. Head on over to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the Internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, you can do so by donating to – well, actually, just find the address at Banal of America. I don't want to keep you guys here much longer. As we say every week here with regards to the donations, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio. We really do appreciate them, folks, so please help us out. On the next edition of Banal of America, folks, it is going to be a barn burner of a program. Our guest will be Frank Joseph. He is the author of the outstanding book, The Lost Colonies of Ancient America. Just tremendous stuff. It covers... All of the ancient peoples and how they very likely made it to America way before Columbus did. I absolutely love this book. I devoured it and could not wait for the conversation with Frank Joseph. So if you enjoy the shows where I am just enchanted with the guest's information, you're going to really like this one because the information is tremendous and I'm 
thrilled to be digging into it. Frank Joseph, The Lost Colonies of Ancient America. That's on the next edition of BOA Audio. Should be coming at you probably about this time next week. So we're talking May 13th. So stay tuned for that, my friends. And with all that said, we say goodbye for this edition of BOA Audio. Once again, enormous thanks to Lon Strickler and Butch Witkowski for coming on the show. And huge thanks to all the folks who tuned in live as well as the amazing BOA Audio listening audience tuning in around the world via podcast. You are the fuel that drives the BOA mothership. Thank you for once again making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall. Thanking you for listening and signing off.